All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Boca Podcast. I am your host, Nathan Holritz, and uh, it's glad I'm, it's glad I'm glad to have you here today. A little different look. We went the casual look today with the ball cap. I'm gonna try something different. Uh, maybe it'll help me relax a little bit too. I think it, I need to do that sometimes. But um, I'm glad to have you here. For those of you that are listening to the audio after the fact, do keep in mind that we actually live stream all of our podcasts at the Boca Podcast. And uh, so if you go to facebook.com slash Boca Podcast, you can see the replay of the show. And then for those of you that are live streaming with us today, please don't hesitate to ask questions, throw comments on there. If you want to send us a funny emoji or two, you can do that as well. Uh, but we'd love to have you along for the ride. Make this a group discussion. And uh, before I introduce our guest for today, I also just want to remind you to take advantage of opportunities to give back. Uh, I've, I've been mentioning Charity Waters, this organization. I'm just popping the receipt up on the screen as I promised everybody I would do. Before each episode, I'm donating to Charity Water. But I would encourage you to look for opportunities in your local community with national organizations, international organizations to give back. Even small amounts of money can make a big difference in people's lives. And uh, I was certainly inspired by one of our guests, Sean, who came on the show not very long ago and really pushed us in that regard. And I want to follow suit and encourage you with that as well. All right. Enough of me talking and uh, rambling on here. I want to introduce our brand new guest for today. Kyle Goldie is here on the line with me. Kyle, thanks for uh, working with me through all these tech issues and jumping on a call, making this happen. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on here today. Well, and we're going to actually dig into a really, really heavy topic, a loaded topic. We were actually discussing this before we, we started or before we went uh, live it's a topic in SEO that could go so many different directions and we could easily fill probably 20, 30 hours worth of podcast episodes getting into even just some of it. Um, we're going to talk specifically about keywords as it relates to SEO in just a little bit. Even that, even that topic could be multiple episodes long. We're going to try to do our best to fit in some key ideas into just this, today, or this episode today. But before we go there, I usually like to ask my guests uh, a, f a series of questions, kind of sort of rapid fire. Sometimes they go longer than, than, than the 60 seconds that I asked for. But I start with brand position. And I know that you have both a coaching business and a photography business. Maybe for the sake of the photographers, we can talk about your photography business. Talk to us a little bit about your brand position or the value proposition that your photography business offers. Yeah, over the years, it's become a little bit easier for me uh, because I've now been a full-time photographer, well, quote-unquote full-time, right? I have these other things. I also own a coffee shop with my wife, too. Wow. But I've been a, I've been a uh, photographer now, quote-unquote full-time, for 13 years. Uh, okay. For the first six, six and a half years or so, I was a commercial fashion photographer, primarily working down in Los Angeles. And when I am having some, some prospects reach out to me, uh, they are really liking that fact. They like how, how, how I have a fashion background, how I'm bringing that into the portraiture of their wedding day. And within the content itself, I'm really calling out how I'm a natural light photographer who is specializing in outdoor away from the city weddings. I have a semi-split audience, so, so about 10% of my audience wants like still have like a city-based wedding. Okay. And so I have about 10% 10, 10 of my content still reaching out to them because if they have the budget for it, and you're still an awesome person, let's go for it. Okay. Because that, that person is still wanting um, away from the city outdoor content for their engagement session and things leading up to it. So it's this blended approach essentially of my background in the fashion world, doing this for 13 years, having now worked with over 2,000 clients. Whoa. And um, having, I don't know, a lot of background and experience going into it. 
So I, you, you talked about natural light photography that piqued my interest because as a fashion photographer, I'm assuming your experience with lighting um, and a variety of scenarios is quite extensive. Did you ever get any kind of lashback from the fashion community when they hear you talking about wedding photography and being a natural light photographer? What, what was that conversation like? Yeah, so it's a good question. Um, I initially got into weddings about 12 years ago and hated it 12 years ago. Uh, so I quickly got out of it and I just focused on fashion at the time. What did you hate about and it what, then? Uh, so much pressure, like all like the standard stuff, right? Like yeah. I just didn't want to be, be there for eight to 10 hours a day and working with at the time low budget clients who felt like they were micromanaging me because at the time I didn't know wedding photography. I didn't mm. know what to do. So they kind of had to micromanage me a little bit. I just dove in headfirst into it, completely unprepared of, you know, what these weddings are really like. Okay. And so when I got into uh, fashion and I kind of climbed up the ladder, so to speak, in that industry, they really looked down on the fact that you're a wedding photographer. Ah. And so I really wanted to, at that point, get intentional about splitting the brands. So the wedding brand that I created, which is called Luma Weddings, is Luma Weddings because it's not my name whatsoever. Okay. And, and so when so when my fashion clients Googled for me, they found my fashion work at the time. And over time, I kind of realized, well, why am I even caring if this fashion client over here really cares that I'm also photographing uh, weddings? Is this person really the ideal client for me? Do I want to work with this, this particular person because they're judging me? And over time, I actually did lose a couple of like those hoity-toity kind of fashion clients. And I didn't care. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, just, I'm just straight up. Yeah. I, I'm actually on your, and, and I was, I had this up for anybody who's watching or listening live. Of course, you you saw this, but I I pulled up Kyle's photography website, and it is lumaweddings.com, L-U-M-A, and then weddings.com. Of course, we'll link to this in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. But man, even just a small sampling of your work here is just absolutely stunning. And obviously, the notion of natural light photography doesn't in any way take away from somebody's actual talent. But I know. Just even in the, the wedding and portrait side of things, um, this idea of being a quote unquote natural light photographer has gotten, gotten a lot of lashback from other wedding and portrait photographers. They're like, ah, you don't know how to handle light because you're a natural. That's just an excuse not to learn how to use lights and strobes. Um, so I was just curious what that looked like from your end. And it sounds like you had to deal with yeah. a little bit of that too. I mean, I'll just be real. I don't give a shit. Right, like when I was shooting fashion, I was primarily shooting fashion outside on location, and I really liked to use like modifiers. So I had a lot of scrims and reflectors and teams and assistants that kind of held a lot of these things uh, to be a bit more mobile with it. And I really just personally enjoyed for myself how this looked using natural light and just controlling natural light still using these modifiers. And then with the wedding world, I used to have a whole bunch of like the three point setup during the reception. I used to have some fill flash and all that. I just didn't personally enjoy it. I didn't like to lug around all this gear unnecessarily in my personal opinion, right? Everyone's different with with art and their approach. That said, I wanted to try to simplify for the sake of simplifying and see if my clients even cared, like Mm -hmm. my clients, Mm -hmm. right? And so I had the three-point setups. I had like really dynamic lighting during reception at these like ballroom and hotel type things earlier in my career. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to leave this at home and force me into having an on-camera flash with a Gary Fong diffuser on it. Yes. And see if my <laughs> client even cares. Yeah. And so, so I brought that with the Gary Fong diffuser, showed up, photographed him. They love the photos. They're absolutely ecstatic over them. I'm yeah. like, okay, well, bring this to the next client. They love the photos as well. Mm-hmm. 
So they just don't care. My clients don't. Some clients might, my clients don't. I, and I would venture that 95% of our clients don't. And, and I think when, when a photographer who is kind of very egotistical about their so-called art hears something like that, they immediately get defensive and they're like, oh, but my clients do. And the reality is most of these photographers probably haven't had conversations with their clients and actually ask them these questions directly, or the clients has never brought it up to them. There was no need to have that conversation because it wasn't even a concern of theirs. We have a tendency, yeah. I think, as photographers, of maybe projecting that on our clients, and the reality is they're not mm -hmm. noticing it. And it's not, I think, the, the other area that some photographers might get defensive, they're, they're like, well, so what, are you going to compromise your work because they don't care? You say they don't care? And that's not the point. I think it's on us to maintain a standard, but we also have yeah. to keep some perspective and let that perspective dictate the way that we work so that we don't waste our time with unnecessary concerns. Um, and as Andres, Andres actually commented from YouTube, he says, good for you. Glad you didn't allow them to dictate your worth. And uh, I think that's a great point. Yeah, hundred percent. And again, it comes down to you kind of controlling how, what you deliver and the expectation of what you're going to deliver, right? So if you're having this entire portfolio and all these blog posts and all this social media content that has a three-point setup, well, the next client's going to expect it. Whereas if you're showcasing all this work that has the on-camera flash and it's very directional light, and if they still like it and they're still hiring you and you're still getting paid what you want to go get paid, then great. Simplify the life. Like You yep. don't need to have this three-point setup inside the reception room. It's not necessary. Agreed. Agreed. When I, when I shot, I used to use, um, and I was shooting Nikon at the time, just happened to be, but uh, we, I would set up these Nikon strobes on just little, uh, Manfrotto makes these really cool clips that have a cold shoe on them. So you'd slide the, the remote flash onto that cold shoe and you could clip them onto a DJ speaker or somewhere across the room and just prop them up and, and shoot remotely. And usually I was just shooting with the on-camera as Phil. And then I'd use that remote strobe placed somewhere around the room, wherever it was most convenient as the, the, the primary or the main light, it works beautifully. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many different yeah. things you can do with that and get creative. And yet I could carry that whole setup in a really simple backpack or, you know, simple case. I love simplicity. I think it's the way to go. So, um, I'm right there with you. Well, I, I want to keep the conversation going because there's a lot more that we have to cover. We're definitely going to link mm -hmm. to your, your website, your photography website, and of course your, your coaching website, which we'll talk more about in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Everybody make sure you go there, click on that and take a visit, but let's get to customer experience. It's another question I ask, and I know it seems a little bit cliche, but I think that customer experience and as it very much relates, relationships are kind of the two underlying keys to a really successful business. And I'm curious if there's a big idea that drives the customer experience that you create for your clients. So I get that, that question asked quite, quite often. of like, how do I, you know, better my client experience? And I, I used to send a bunch of like gift cards and experience things and handwritten cards and boxes and fun little things that they were, you know, filling out as part of this questionnaire so I can understand more of the personality type to deliver to them something that's unique to them. Sure. People liked experiences. They did. They said thank you all the time. I used to give them like surprise things of artwork after the fact and they really liked that. They still said thank you. They still sent me referrals. It's great. But again, I wanted to just test. Right. And so all of a sudden I was like, you know what? I'm going to do nothing. And then I still got referrals. And then I, <laughs> and then I sent out just handwritten cards and people really appreciated the handwritten cards instead mm -hmm. of, instead of just like an email that was sent out. Mm -hmm. But long story short, I'm still getting referrals, still getting people ranting and raving about me, which is great. And that's what we all want. But I noticed that they cared about the actual physical experience, the client communication. So I'm not taking a week to get back to them on something. I'm answering their questions before they even have the questions. Because, again, I'm guiding them over to kind of what to expect. And here's what I recommend you do for this and this. Sure. 
and I just make sure that they have a hell of a lot of fun. Like yeah. I'm a good person. I joke around. I make sure that I'm, you know, being there, making sure they're having the best day of their life because that's what they're there to do on their wedding day. So as long as that they're enjoying working with me and they feel like this is a professional experience through literally everything, inclusive of client communication and the result and the speed of everything, then they're going to send me more business, regardless if I send them a gift card or a wine basket filled with cheese or whatever. Okay. Interesting. So you didn't notice any fall off in the referrals, despite not sending the gift backs. It was really all about the experience that you created largely when they were with you, that interaction. Literally zero fall off. Interesting. So I, I'm curious about this because I, I'm, uh, I don't know if I were to categorize myself, I would think in many cases, I'm, I tend to be a little bit more introverted, but when uh, I think many photographers, even much more so than I am, you've probably heard this a lot in your consulting too. Photographers are like, I'm a, I'm an introvert. So I'm uncomfortable meeting new people or interacting with these new clients that I have mm-hmm. for those photographers. Do you have an idea or two that you would want to throw out there that would enable them to better I guess, create this experience that you're talking about, especially when they're a little bit timid? Yeah, awesome question. Uh, so I'm an introverted extrovert myself. And okay. I, I feel that that most photographers are introverted at some level. That's why we're behind the camera all the time, right? Sure. Uh, so when you're talking about trying to get over this hurdle, in my personal opinion, being someone who's introverted and being someone, by the way, who's lived with anxiety my entire life, literally since birth, mm. this is something that just kind of comes with practice, as an example. Like, I don't like doing live videos. I don't like doing stuff like this. But you know what? <laughs> I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up. I'm going to give value. I'm going to try to be myself as much as humanly possible. And I'm going to make some jokes along that way because that's just who I am. Like, I might not always be super comfortable, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to pay attention to what this client is wanting at this particular time and then give them value. As long as they're getting the value out of it, and again, I'm being quick with this communication so they're not, like, waiting for this response for three days or a week or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. I'm giving this person value. I'm there for them, the whole process. Hmm. So, really, it's just a matter of showing up. I mean, I, I heard you say that phrase a second ago, and I, I think we tend tend to comp- overcomplicate things many times. And sometimes you just got to do it, right? Yeah, just try your best. That's all you can ever do. Like if it sucks one day, hey, you suck that day. That's fine. <laughs> then, then the next day is going to be better. Like you learn from that little mistake. You happen to do that one time. Hey, I made a mistake. I'm not going to make that mistake again. Brilliant. I love it. And you also have the support of your wonderful dog in the background there who is like tilting his or her head. I love it. Like this little sideways. He's like, hey, what's going on? Or she? Yeah, he his name's Cannon, like the camera. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. It was funny. As we were talking, he's walking up behind you and just tilting his head and trying to figure out what was going on up there. It's, it's really cute. All right. Well, yeah, let's he keep... wants to sit on my lap, essentially, as we talk here. He's oh, just going to okay. cry the entire time if he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, talk to me. That, so that we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit. Time management is something I'm a little obsessed with, and, and I think it's played in my favor a lot of times. But um, I, I know there's always a balance to be had, right? There's something to be said for work ethic and putting a lot of hours in sometimes. What is that? I hate to use the word balance because it really just looks different for everybody. But what does time management look like for you? Is there a big idea that's enabled you to find a balance you're happy with in your life and business? Yeah, awesome question. Massive pain point of so many just business owners in general, regardless of being a photographer or not. So earlier in my career, I had... I'll just say what it was. I had a large ego, um, mm. and I hired a mindset coach for thirty five hundred bucks 
to get me out of my own way. Wow. And just really just make me come down to like the root of who I was all over again, get rid of bad habits that I was doing and letting go of some control that I was wanting to maintain within my business. Meaning like, oh, I have to go edit my own photos. I have to do all the admin stuff inside my business. I have to go, you know, make my own website beautiful rather than outsource that part to someone else. Mm. Because I wanted that control over out of ego. Like, oh, if it's, if it's going to be done right, I have to do it myself. Well, that's awful. Like, mm-hmm. that's, not ne- that's not necessary. If you want to go do that yourself and if you're good at it, then great. But otherwise, outsource it, especially if it's taking you too long. Because when you're editing photos yourself, as an example, the way that I like to look at it is during that period of time, even though I still need to deliver this result, if I'm doing it, that's also me not marketing my business and getting in front of the next ideal client that I want to go book. Sure. So me editing my own stuff and taking the time is costing me money. Mm-hmm. So if I were to outsource the editing, then great. I'm now saving that amount of time. I can then take that time to either go do something for my marketing or go spend that time with my family because I really value my family time. So I'm curious because when you talk about ego, I can certainly relate as well. This is something you talk, and, and I, I actually like that phrase, getting out of our own way. I have gotten in my own way way too many times. And unfortunately, it's gotten in the way of relationships in many cases as well in the past. And so learning to get out of our own way is really important. This is especially true when it comes to this idea of delegation. What I found, again, was that my ego was playing into conversations that I was having with people when I asked them to do something. I just assumed that the way that I think is the way that they should think and that they're just they should do it that way. And in many cases, I didn't communicate clearly how to do the thing the way that I was expecting them to do. Communication is such a key component of, of delegation. So I'm curious what you've learned about how to better communicate when you're delegating so that what's getting done is done really well, or at least to the extent that you need it to be, um, without, I guess, maximizing the frustration and the interaction. Yeah, I mean, when I was... Because I used to outsource all my photos. At the, at the moment, anyway, I don't. Um, but because I'm intentionally trying to bring on fewer clients and I've just dialed in my systems for my own editing process here, so it's still really quick. Uh, that said, when I was having more volume, time batching my work as much as humanly possible was really helpful for me. So I'm not like editing one session or one wedding or one elopement and then I'm not editing the next one that's already like, waiting to be downloaded on this card. Like I might, I might even wait six, seven, eight days, call, you know, both of these sessions now at the same time, essentially edit both at the same time, deliver both at the same time. So I'm, I'm batch working as much as humanly possible. And outside of all of those fun things, I want to try to systemize and automate as much as my client communication as possible. Mm. And even with my automations that I have, depending on the particular email that I'm sending out, I'm even telling my, my client that I'm saying this to within that automated email, hey, this is an automated email message. Yeah. So I'm not tr- trying to like you know fake it. I'm just trying to be very real with them because they don't care that it's automated. They just care that they get the answer that they're looking for and the guide that I'm sending over to them. So yeah, I mean, at this point in my business, with my wedding business anyway, I'm working less than about an hour per week on wow. average outside of spending time with my actual like clients. So like this weekend I'm photographing two weddings and obviously that's a lot longer than one hour a week. Sure. But outside of time actually photographing people, it's about less than an hour on average because in winter I'm not editing stuff. Mm-hmm. In summer I'm editing things. So I might be, you know, editing this wedding for an hour and a half or 2 hours or whatever it takes me to do it. 
but then winter I got nothing to edit and that's fine. I want to go take some time off. Yeah, absolutely. But man, an hour, that's incredible. I, I was, I think in the past on the podcast, I've theorized that the average wedding photographer could probably run their business and, and no more than 20 hours a week, but you're like way up in the ante with an hour a week. And I think it's brilliant, right? Leverage the, the tools that we have. Many of them are even free. Some of them cost a little bit, but not much considering how much time is saved to automate a lot of our workflow and then focus the actual time on the interaction with the clients. seems like best of both worlds. Yeah. And as an example, like I, I do a lot of SEO. And that's what we're going to talk about here in a little bit, obviously. Um, but because I've created what I call these long-term organic assets within my website framework, so a lot of these pages and blog posts, a lot of these blog posts I've written were from years ago that I'm still getting traffic from. So I'm not having to go post on Instagram every single day. I'm not having to optimize my my Pinterest. I'm not having to build relationships all the time and nurture all these people. So a lot of this traffic is coming to me on autopilot these days because I spent the time earlier in my career and I'm kind of like relaxing these days essentially off of that traffic that, that still exists and I'm just keeping the website fresh so that way Google doesn't think of me as this old website that doesn't you know push out more content. <laughs> right. Yeah, but you're leveraging the work that you've put in as well, and and that's playing in your favor. That's kind of cool. Well, I actually want to use this as a segue then to first of all um, introduce our our listeners and and viewers as well to your website, your coaching site, KyleGoldie.com, and then also of course your Instagram account, and it's Kyle Goldie K Y L E G O L D I E, and of course we'll link to this in the show notes at BocaPodcast.com. We are going to, and, and I'm going to give you opportunity uh, toward the end to just talk a little bit more about the services that you offer there at KyleGoldie.com, especially as it relates to coaching. But to kind of kick this off, there was, there's, I'm actually going to quote you directly from something you said leading up to our conversation. You said, so many people think that ads or SEO are the golden piece to the puzzle, when in fact, it's having the entire puzzle interconnected and not just these pieces. We are going to dig into just SEO today and more specifically keywords, but I'd love for you to give context because I think it will be helpful for our listeners to think about the bigger picture, number one. And two, obviously, I want them to have the opportunity to, to reach out to you as well, thinking about this bigger picture. So give a little bit of context if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to preface it by saying this. Ads can still work. Like I might <laughs> yeah. help photographers with SEO things. Absolutely. But... Ads can still work. So if you're running a Facebook ad and it's targeted well, you have a landing page that converts well, you put them into a drip sequence or you know, whatever you're wanting to do with your ads, it can still work. So I'll say that. With your ads or your SEO or your Instagram, so let's say you're trying to become some sort of influencer, all these people, primarily speaking, are still making an ultimate decision on your website. So regardless of your traffic source, it comes to this website where they're making a decision. They, they see your personal brand there. They see how great your work is, ideally. They see your branding message behind it all. They see if you have experience or if you feel like they don't have, you know, if you don't have that much experience. They feel these things within this website. They're making a decision. So you need to have the strategic traffic come to you, not just traffic in general. We then need to have this website convert this person into an actual lead, a targeted person, but still have the website pre-qualify them because it needs to be within the budget that you set for your business. So let's say you shoot weddings for 5,000 bucks or you shoot portrait sessions for 2,000 bucks or whatever it happens to be, or $500, doesn't matter. Sure. But you got, you got to have this you know, pre-qualification set there. And then they need to fill out a strategic contact form in order for your sales process to be easier, especially if you're looking to book people through email. 
And then you need to have strategic pricing so that way you can balance out depending on the unique strategy of your business. But you then need to balance out, hey, how do I market to the average Joe so they can still afford me at the base potentially or at least psychologically sell them on something that they don't really want and then they pay you more money down the road for something that they really, you know, once they see all the photos as an example for a portrait session, oh my God, these are all amazing. Now I want the whole collection or I want all this artwork now. But at the front end, hey, it sounds affordable at 500 bucks or 700 bucks if I only want my five. Or, man, I only want my 24 by 36, you know, canvas if it's just artwork that that photographer is trying to sell. But then at the back end, you sell more stuff. Or as an example for the wedding photographers here, instead of having your base at eight, have your base at six. So that way your base at six sounds more affordable because you're, maybe your average market rate in Chicago or Seattle or New York is 3500 bucks for eight hours of market average. But if you're this average photographer in this area, have your six at 35. So you're still in this market average here and mm-hmm. have your eight now be at 4,500 or 4,900 or 5,200, right? But get him in the door because for the psycho- psychological selling based on price point, they think that, hey, this person's in my price point. This is in the budget that I'm looking to spend. I don't know what this includes, so I'm going to reach out. But now because you're having more conversations, it's going to help you make more sales rather than saying on your website starting at 5,500 bucks. And now all of a sudden you're 2000 bucks above the market average, even though you could have sold them on $3,900 for six hours and $750 per hour. Yeah. Like in it, so it just kind of helps you sell more uh, to people because you're having more conversations. Okay. So, so what, I, what I love about your monologue just now is that you gave all of our listeners like 46 different things to reach out to talk to you about. <laughs> because really, truly, I don't think a lot of photographers, myself included, by the way, as a photographer, I shot weddings for over 10 years. I, it wasn't certainly not at the beginning and even maybe a good bit into my career. I wasn't thinking that way Um, and thinking about the big picture and then breaking that down into all these different moving pieces and thinking about how to address each one of those. I I wasn't, I didn't go to school for business. I wasn't trained in business. I didn't know how to think that way. And I think a lot of photographers, that's the case. They jumped into photography and they're excited about photography, but, but they don't really actually know what it means to create and run a business. That's going to continually drive business and grow at scale and um, you have the tools necessary to help them. So I'm going to, you haven't asked me to do this, but I'm going to pitch you anyway. And I'm going to, I'm going to put your website up here on the screen before we get into to keywording and SEO. Um, I want to pop this up one more time. So for those of you, oops, wrong button there. For those of you that are listening in or watching, just go to kylecoldy.com and, and you can reach out. In fact, you know what? Let's just talk about it for a second, Kyle. Talk about the services yeah. that you offer uh, as a coach, as a consultant to photographers. What, what can they look for? Yeah, so when most people reach out to me, they're wanting SEO help, right? So before anyone signs up to literally anything, I like to hop onto a free call with someone just to understand if I can actually help them. Okay. Because when when someone is saying, hey, Kyle, I want help with SEO, I say, great, let's go look at your website because I can help you with your SEO, but if your website is honestly bad, then we need to fix this website first before we start driving traffic to it because it's not going to convert. Okay. It's just like if someone runs Facebook ads, right? If your website is crap and the structure is not right and the the branding message isn't right, the pricing isn't right, then you're going to feel like your ads aren't working. So it it all starts uh, with the free discovery call to understand with a mini business audit, essentially what your unique business needs actual help with. And then it starts with your time management because we need to understand your actual life because maybe you have a couple of kids at home as an example and you only have 10 hours a week to put into your business. Okay, yeah. well, where should this 10 hours go? 
what, what should you do and what should you outsource? What budget do you have that you can't outsource certain things? What's going to make the biggest impact? And then we're going to talk about the perception of your value, the pricing behind it, your sales automations, your systems, your client communication, templates on everything. We're going to talk about advertising, marketing. We're going to talk about social media referral systems. We're going to talk about your SEO, your blogging, tools to use. It's literally everything. The shorter list is what it doesn't help you with. The shorter list is it doesn't help you run ads and it doesn't help you with in-person sales. Everything else is what it helps you with. Okay. Fair enough. Well, we'll leave that as is. And of course, we're going to link to your website in the show notes, bookapodcast.com, Instagram as well. Um, we are going to briefly touch on, and it really doesn't even seem fair, but we're going to briefly touch on this topic of keywording because I know it's such a loaded topic, SEO even more so. Uh, but just mm-hmm. to introduce, we're going we're gonna to assume that a lot of the people listening in, maybe they've heard the terms before, right? They, they know what SEO as a general idea is. Maybe they don't even, they're even quite sure what keywording is. Let's just start with a basic definition. When, when we're talking about keywords, what does that actually mean as it relates to SEO? Yeah, so essentially keywords are what someone is typing into Google to go find stuff on Google, right? So like if I'm looking for like best restaurants in Seattle, I'm going to type into Google best restaurants in Seattle. And you're going to find the top 10 restaurants according to Google and how well they've done their SEO. So it's the same thing for photographers, right? So if I'm looking for a... New York City newborn photographer into Google. Well, ideally, I'm going to want to see you there because that's very transactional in nature. That that particular person is looking in your service area if you're in New York and if you're a newborn photographer. So the goal is to get you closer to to page one on Google organically, meaning like you're not spending money in ads to get you there. Right. Uh, we, we were actually just reviewing our, our numbers today um, with Jill, who heads up our digital marketing. And right now, roughly 25% of our new accounts coming into Photographer's Edit are coming in via organic Google search. And I'm pretty stoked with that. I know there's... <laughs> oh, no, I wasn't saying that to, to, to get a No, path, that's but... awesome. That's super awesome. But yeah. it's, it's pretty exciting to see. We've put a lot of work in. We've had some wonderful help as well. But um, I, certainly we see the value in it. But we've also been learning a lot through the process. And this is actually just a question genuinely for me out of curiosity. When we talk about keywords and key phrases, is there actually a difference between the two? Is keyword kind of the generic terminology that's used there? Yeah. So I just like to say keywords. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause for, for those of you listening, like a keyword is typically just a singular word, right? Like photographer. But if you try to rank for, let's say that you live in Miami, and if you're trying to rank for Miami photographer, well, it's not niche specific at that point, right? So if you're a, a family photographer or a newborn photographer in that area, then you're trying to rank for a Miami family photographer or a Miami newborn photographer or both. And what I see most often with a lot of photographers, I'm saying like 90 to 95% of photographers that I, that I talk with, they're going after their primary keyword, meaning again, like Miami family photographer. And they're really trying to level up their SEO to help that keyword rank higher. Mm. But they're losing out on so much value when they're also going after the service area around them. So if they're going for, again, it depends on how far they're willing to travel or how far that their, their client is willing to travel to them. But if they look for like the beaches nearby or the largest cities that are within about an hour and a half drive, and also rank these different pages within the website for these areas that are still super transactional, that can help. And if you're something like a wedding photographer, as another example here, the brand awareness keywords, I really want you, really, really want everybody paying attention to this, okay? So if you are a wedding photographer, brand awareness keywords, please, please, please uh, go create 
go create and crank out content centered around wedding venues. Okay. Because you are then looking at keywords that are early in the buyer's journey. So this is kind of part of like keyword strategy and keyword research here. Mm. So when you're talking about keyword strategy, I want you to be looking at not just of like, hey, when are they looking for a photographer? Obviously still go after that. But look at the keywords that people are Googling for just prior to when they're looking for a photographer. So for a wedding photographer, it's going to be wedding venues and wedding planners. For a family photographer, it's way more difficult because this family doesn't have any scarcity about booking that family session. That's why that the traditional market, families are wanting their photos in summer and fall. So for a family, what you can be doing, just for brand awareness here, again, let's just use Miami still for this example, but Miami toy stores, Miami children's boutiques, mm. uh, things to do in Miami with kids, things to do in Miami with toddlers, Miami pediatricians, like things that families, that you know that this person's a family and they're around Miami. So if you create blog post content for things like this as a family photographer, that person can find your website. And then within this blog post, you have this call to action to visit your portfolio or visit your contact page to actually create this lead. But if they're not ready to actually reach out, you can nurture this particular person just for family photographers here for a Facebook group. Right. So then this person who's reached or on this website in the middle of January or February when like the volume and demand is very low. Sure. Like nurture them inside of a Facebook group. And then okay. when they ask to, to join this Facebook group, you can ask them three questions when they join a group. Right. So question number one is, what's your email address? So that way you're, you're kind of killing two birds with one stone here. And now because you have this really valuable blog post content, you can use that inside the Facebook group. Um, but just sorry if I'm rambling here, but if you're not at all, if you're a wedding photographer, please, in my recommendation, anyway, you don't need a Facebook group if you're, if you're a wedding photographer for a, for this wedding and engaged based audience, just convert this person, get them on this website, get them to fill out this contact form and make them inquire with you so you can get them on the calendar. Okay. And, and uh, maybe, maybe the answer was innate to, to what you just said, but when you made that distinction between family photographers and wedding photographers and why you, a family photographer would have a Facebook group and the wedding would not, the goal is to, to not bother with taking time in that group. It's just to convert them immediately. And you think that the photographers can do that more effectively with weddings in particular? Yeah, good, good question. Thank you for asking that. So with this family-based audience, again, like let's say that you're in Michigan and like Michigan winters are brutal. So a lot of these families are naturally not going to want a family session in January, February, March, etc. You can force their hand a little bit by creating these limited edition sessions by like booking a cabin in the woods nearby and doing like a log cabin kind of vibe and okay. have like five five slots available. Okay. But prim- primarily this group for a family is to nurture this audience. So that way that when you do have these limited edition sessions that are off season, you can still pitch them periodically. But the primary goal of the group is to give them value to position yourself as like this family-based expert. The group is just hosted by you as a photographer. So that way when they are ready to you know, book that limited edition session or book their summer or fall session like they were going to initially, they're going to think of you. And so you're just really getting in front of the moms in this area uh, in particular, not so much the dads. So you're going to have like this moms group sure. uh, within this particular area here. The, the weddings, yeah, just... They're engaged, so get them on your calendar right now for that wedding day. I guess that makes sense, too. Just logically, they already intend to get married. So it's just a matter of 
convincing them that you're the best solution, I guess, at that point. You don't need to, to kind of fluff them up in that process leading up to the wedding. Yeah, ex- exactly, right? Like you don't need to give them as much value and as much of like this like seven touch point kind of marketing philosophy with your wedding-based audience. Your, your SEO is naturally going to do a lot of that for you because when someone is engaged, you got to think about the actual buyer's journey here. So let's say if it's Seattle, someone might be, you know, getting engaged around Seattle. They have no idea where to get married. So they're just going to think, oh, I'm going to Google for outdoor wedding venues in Seattle because that's what they want. They know what they want it to be around Seattle. They know what they want it to be outdoors. So it's a very generic search at this point. And then they're going to look through these lists and research around. Then they're going to start narrowing it down to like the top three or four or five venues. That's what most people do. Okay. And so once they, once they narrow it down to like this top venue list, well, if they're Googling for that all over again, they keep finding your blog posts everywhere. So you're, so you're having these touch points with your SEO so that way when they do happen to reach out and you have a strategic website and strategic, strategic contact form, and then you're, emailing them back with strategic open-ended questions sorry this is really fast but then you're able to pull them through the the sales process so that way by the second email you're actually understanding if they're a real good fit because they're getting married at a good place you're understanding a bit about their personality because of your open-ended questions they're ideally sharing their story within that contact form again pulling from that and within that second email maybe third you're booking this wedding client rather than having this long drawn out conversation email and now wasting a whole bunch of time. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Well, this is a brilliant segue though, to my next question, which has to do with the concept of strategy. And you actually alluded to the word earlier, but I, I'll be honest as, as a, um, and I think it's a cop out. Honestly, a lot of times you hear these entrepreneurs that are like, I'm an idea guy or I'm an idea girl but I'm not really good at the details. And the reality is we can't really be effective business owners if all we do is just come up with the ideas. We, we don't come up with a strategy, a plan to actually carry that thing out, to make that thing happen. We have to think about the details or at least hire somebody to help us think about the details. When it comes to, to keywords as it relates to SEO, what does it mean to come up with a strategy for keywording? Yeah, so strategy in plain English terms, and in my world anyway, I like to, again, think about blog posts initially so you can do your pages or blog posts the only difference between the two is really just the aesthetic of it with regarding your your keyword strategy moving forward your your transit so there's sorry there's three types of blog posts in my world three types of keywords in my world okay one there's transactional so the first one of transactional being area plus job title so again if you're a seattle wedding photographer that's your transactional keyword because people are more likely to actually reach out. They're looking for someone like you in this local area. A brand awareness keyword, so keyword strategy number two here, is figuring out which keywords of people that are using prior to when they're looking for a photographer, ideally as close as possible to that stage. So for a wedding photographer, it could be, again, wedding planners or um, wedding venues. For a newborn photographer that might be happening to listen to this, this would be something like a birthing center or a doula or a Mm. midwife or prenatal massage, prenatal yoga, something of this nature where like, hey, this person is pregnant. They're looking for something. They might not be thinking about a photographer at this point, but let's push out some content to get in front of this person over here. And then your third, in my world anyway, is just your value. So this is where I see a lot of photographers providing a lot of valuable posts within their website to position themselves as an expert. So this is just like outfit tips or photography locations or 
you know, how to make sure your kid's not, you know, throwing a fit during a session or what to do if he or she is. These are great to position you as an expert, but they're not helping you, in my opinion, drive in new targeted traffic, new leads, new business, Hmm. because no one's Googling for this in this local area. So regarding your keyword strategy and priority, number one, transactional, because people are actually looking for someone like you. Then go into your brand awareness, start in your local service area. So the city that you live in or the biggest city that's near you, if nobody's searching for the keywords in your market, because maybe you live in a small town or something. And then from there, you can start to expand the service area until it's about an hour and a half away. After about an hour and a half away, I've noticed a lot of you know objection, natural objection. People mm. saying like, oh, I don't want to drive an hour and a half to go work with you. But if you're like the best, most badass photographer that exists, maybe yeah. they're willing to drive a bit further. Okay. So I, I wasn't sure if you're going to keep going there. I, I, by the way, I'm taking notes. So if you see me look down, I'm literally with my pen and paper here taking notes, transactional keywords, brand awareness, keywords, and value keywords. I've never heard it quite broken down that way. And I love, I'm, I'm a very, uh, I guess, practical, logical guy. And I like that, like the step-by-step and the, the way that you've ordered those there. When we talk about this idea of establishing ourselves as so-called experts, when everybody and their brother and sister is establishing themselves as experts and writing blog posts, how much value does that still carry in this day and age when everybody's been told to do that? It's kind of also like, hey, I'm a fine art photographer. Right? <laughs> totally, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm a fine art photographer. I'm a luxury photographer. Like, okay, great. Well, what the hell is fine art? Right. Like, it's such, it's such a subjective thing. Yeah. Because someone can say, oh, I'm this expert. I've been doing this for two years. Well, okay. Well, like you've been doing it for two years. So like you might be really talented, but are you the expert compared to the other person, the, the very next website, who's been doing it for 20? Like, is that person more of an expert? Well, maybe the person who's been doing it for 20 years is not as good as a photographer even than the person who's been doing it for two. Hmm. Like, like the, the very generic length of time means nothing when it comes down to art. I've seen so many people, as photographers anyway, that come into the marketplace they don't know how to run their business quite yet, which is fine, but they're incredible photographers, just absolutely amazing right off the gate. But then there's some people that have been doing this for their entire life, and subjectively speaking, they're not so great. So regarding being an expert, I wouldn't ever call yourself an expert. I don't call myself an expert. Okay. Like it's not, it's not necessary, in my opinion, anyway. People are going to be booking you based on a few different things. They're going to be booking you based on your content. Content's always going to be king. You're a photographer. If your style sucks, no one's going to hire you. If you're really awesome at what you do, people are naturally going to want to hire you. Your your goal here is just optimizing this, optimizing your conversion rate and charging a little bit more so you can profit more per client. So content's king. You need to then have a personal brand that resonates with your ideal client. So as an example, like if they're on this website and you're just treating your website as just like a portfolio and that's it, and there's no personal brand attached to it, and if you're trying to make this emotional sale to someone who's getting married or someone who's giving birth, then you need to have this personal brand so they can trust you. They can understand if this is going to be fun to work with you or not. If you're this really stiff person, well, I don't really want to hire you as my wedding photographer regardless of how good your work is, personally speaking. I want to know if this is going to be awesome to work with you and this work is really cool too. So you need to lean into your overall branding message, who you're for, who you actually are, because people are going to be able to tell if you're being authentic or not. So it's not just a pretty website that's going to work for you. It's this 
pretty website that's strategic with strategic content with a personal brand that flows in with them and a branding message to back it all up with social proof as well. So like the reviews from your clients are really killer and you've been featured in different places, all, all these things over time, right? So yeah, it's, it's the puzzle piece the going together essentially. That's fair. That's fair. And I guess when we talk about this idea of establishing ourselves as an expert, it's not that we're necessarily calling ourselves that. It's that we're, like, you really are honing on. In fact, you even said it before we started the, the live stream today, that this word value, adding value. If we're adding v- enough value, people are naturally going to look to us as a source of that value, that content that you were talking about as well. And it's not just simply stating that we're an expert. It's that we're adding value that makes somebody else's life better they're naturally going to come to us for that. Is that a better understanding of it? Yeah. And, and just for clarity, for, for those listening or watching in here, uh, when you're strategically thinking of value, what I want you to be doing is doing your SEO keyword research around the things that your ideal clients are Googling for in your local area. And then if you're finding that these keywords that they're Googling for are found with volume, meaning that people are actually searching for this keyword, then you can start blogging about this this type of thing to give them value, again, on autopilot. Because then you create this blog post. That blog post, ideally, gets found for years to come. So now this targeted person is getting value on autopilot, coming to your website, and then your copywriting within it is now converting this person, ideally, now into a lead. So just get strategic with the, the value and not just like blatant value for the sake of it being valued. Well, it, I, you're obviously a professional because you're setting me up very well for my questions. The next question has to do with awareness, developing awareness, because we can't just randomly pick a keyword. If we do that, we're large, a lot of the times we're going to pick keywords that uh, or phrases that are not necessarily relevant to our target client. We have to develop a certain amount of relevance about what is ultimately going to drive the right clients to our website. Tools that will enable our listeners to do just that. Are there some recommendations that you can give us? Yeah, so the agency-grade tools are out there, like Moz and SEMrush and Ahrefs. Those are like the SEO agency-grade level tools. So if those of you who are listening have more money to go spend and you like spending money on subscriptions, go for it. <laughs> so, 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 so those are some really awesome ones that exist. That said, most photographers don't want to go spend higher dollar numbers for these subscriptions. So the, the ones that I recommend to a lot of photographers are Keywords Everywhere, which is a Chrome extension that you can get just on Google Chrome. It's $10 at the moment anyway for an entire year. And that one has 100,000 search credits that you're able to use within this 10 bucks. So it's basically unlimited search credits. So you type in like what you think your ideal client is Googling for. Mm -hmm. You put it into Google and it'll spit out the very rough search volume and competition for that particular type of keyword. It's a brilliant tool. We've used it endlessly. It's so, so good. Yeah, it's super easy to use. It's 10 bucks for the whole year. Everyone that's listening to this should please go get it immediately. I'm not an affiliate. I just recommend <laughs> it, okay? And then uh, Keyword Surfer is another one that I like to use in conjunction with Keywords Everywhere, specifically because when you're running these, these keyword searches on any platform, it's always going to be giving you like this rough number. It's not going to be giving you the specific exact number. So with keywords every sorry with keywords surfer, you're going to be searching for like this keyword that you think your ideal client's googling for, and it's going to give you a, a different data point. It might be the same exact number, it might be a little different, but if it's a little different, that's fine. And now we just know in this gen- generic search volume, hey, this is a good keyword to go after. 
And the biggest variable between Keyword Surfer and Keywords Everywhere is on the right-hand side at this point within your Google Chrome with Keyword Surfer attached to it. By the way, Keyword Surfer is free. On the right-hand side, when you're typing in any keyword, it's going to tell you this big purple box, this graph that shows up, and you can click on a button that says Words. And when you click on the button that says Words, it's going to pull up the top 10 people that are found within that, that search term, and it's going to tell you the words, the number of words that they're, that they're using to actually tell to Google, hey, this is valuable. Wow. And if you're, and if you're finding that the, you know, average, um, the average page or post has a thousand words for like, you know, top one, two, three, four spots, then you should be writing at least a thousand words for that post versus you coming across, you know, this generic keyword. I'm like, well, how many words should I write? That's always the common question. Well, use the keywords uh, surfer tool to identify, very roughly speaking, the, the generic minimum number word count that I want you to kind of aim for. And then the, uh, one more. Uh, yeah, no, sorry. please. <laughs> and then so there's a newer tool on the market. Uh, it was only, I think, announced about a month or two ago. It's called Keyword Chef. So Keyword Chef is a tool that exists out there. Uh, at the moment, it's not free, but it's not expensive either. But let's say that you're an elopement photographer listening in. And with this elopement-based audience, you're willing to travel around, but you don't want to be searching up each little individual thing like you're going to have to use uh, within uh, Keywords Everywhere. So with Keyword Chef, what you can do is you can go eloping in and then have a space and then like your little asterisk, which is then going to pull up the search terms for everything that's found on the internet for eloping in and then whatever location. Wow. So like eloping in Hawaii, eloping in Iceland, eloping in Greece, eloping in wherever. Okay. And so if you're a traveling elopement photographer, it's a really easy way to then identify some elopement-based keywords without having to look up each individual one and just take more time. This is, man, this is brilliant. I, I, I have to say like major props because um, your focus on adding value is, is very evident. I mean, practical content is my number one goal with this podcast. And already we've, you've given our listeners so much food for thought. This is, I really, really love it. Let me just jump really quick to the browser here. I pulled up keyword chef and I've already bookmarked it. I'm going to look at it later because I wasn't aware of that tool. And then I went ahead and installed the extension as well for uh, keyword surfer. So let me jump back over here. And I just did a quick search, Chattanooga wedding photographer. And mm-hmm. I'm seeing both results from, uh, well, r- related keywords or keywords everywhere, of course, down here. And I'm seeing yeah. this this graph here. And for anybody who's listening in, make sure you go to facebook.com slash Boca podcast. You can see the replay and what we're talking about. But the this graph right here, what is it that I'm looking at? And how do I go about using that? Yeah, so the one metric I really want you paying attention to with Keyword Surfer is that that bar graph that you see. See where it says traffic, which is currently underlined, and then words is right next to it? Yeah. Just click click on words there. Okay. And that's going to show you the number of words per website that's on here on page one. So if you hover over top of one there, it's going to tell you the specific number of words. Wow, so 1,897 on, on Yeah. Right. So this is going to give you this idea of like how are these directory listings potentially being found for this particular uh, keyword here yeah. and what to potentially do. Because then you're going to be comparing yourself against other photographers because these other photographers might be doing like 600 words or 1200 words or whatever it is again. Okay. But you're, but you're going to be just trying to give more value to Google as well as to people 
to have you give yourself a better chance of getting on page one organically for something like this. Man, I now I, I've been really geeking out over this this stuff over the last few months, but that gets me even more excited because it, it's such a powerful tool, and the amount of information that gives you immediately off the bat is is just incredible. That's that's amazing. And hey, Andres commented from YouTube, and he says, "I'm going to have to rewatch this episode. So much value. Thanks for commenting, Andres." And and I would certainly agree. I I honestly feel already, Kyle, like we've given our our listeners. Um, plenty of actionable content here. But if if we were to close this, and, and of course, we're going to recommend that listeners reach out to you for individual consults. But if we were to give listeners even just one or two specific actionable items now to take with some of this content that you've already shared, something that they could go do right now, what would you want to throw out there? What would you recommend? So for most photographers, step number one is always going to be doing your SEO queue research. Okay, so before you start optimizing this website for conversion and everything else, do your SEO period research. Use some of the tools that were mentioned uh, during this, this call here with Nathan. After you're doing your SEO period research, then go back into your website and optimize your on-page SEO at that point. So your titles, your meta descriptions, your keywords, your alt text, all that fun stuff. And then go into your website itself to make sure your current traffic that you have is converting more often. So keyword research, on-page SEO, website structure to convert more often, and then get someone to look at your pricing structure and strategy to make sure you're profiting the most amount you can per client without pricing yourself out of the market and not pricing yourself under the market either. Brilliant. I love it. Well, we're just going to leave it right there. And actually, I'm gonna, what I am going to do is pull up your uh, website, and I keep hitting the wrong button here. Let me grab, there we go. Pull your website back up here. So kylegoldie.com. And then, of course, on Instagram, Kyle Goldie, K-Y-L-E-G-O-L-D-I-E. Kyle, any any last words here to leave our listeners before we go? I just give a shit about your results. That's it. Uh, <laughs> so, like, honestly, just pay attention to everything here within this episode. If anyone wants to reach out to me, they can. It all starts with a free call. And that's just kylegoldie.com forward slash help. That's it. That's where we can have a chat. If you don't want to do anything beyond that, that's fine. I just want to give you guys more value. I really appreciate Kyle. Truly, this has been super, super helpful, super valuable, really. And of course, we'll link to all the, sh- the resources that we mentioned today, certainly Kyle's website and Instagram, but all the resources we mentioned, as well as the talking points, bookapodcast.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening and for chiming in. And thanks, Kyle, again for your time. Truly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Nathan. <laughs>